It's Raining Cats and Dogs, the podcast dedicated to people who are ruled by their pets. I'm Joel Bardseth, and Queen Freya, she doesn't just rule our castle, she rules our entire kingdom. She's been kind enough to let me be your host. On behalf of Steve's Real Food, thank you for joining. everyone and welcome back to our podcast. I am Joel Bartseth and we are going to start episode two of our three-part series called Why Raw? So our first episode, we were joined by Dana Singleton, who's here again with us. And we answered the question, what is raw? For those people who are out there and maybe you see it online and you're picturing something in your head, we had to define what is raw. Today, we got to go a little deeper. And really the big question, Dana, I'm going to hit you with it right out of the gate. Where did this idea of raw pet food for dogs and cats come from? Thanks, Joel. Thanks for having me again. Um, I'm glad you asked that question. It's not some kind of this, this idea of raw feeding and raw food for pets. isn't some hippy dippy idea that someone just thought up. Um, It's really rooted in, in both history and in science. So what do you mean by history though? Well, dogs, um, during their evolutionary process, uh, we know that they self-domesticated somewhere over 10,000 years ago, it's the process started. And though they've been domesticating themselves internally, their body is still identical to a wolf. So I hear that a lot though, when we're out there, when when we're talking, and I do this in my own presentations, I think some people always wonder, why is he talking about wolves? I have a chihuahua and they don't look a whole lot alike, Dana. So help us out with that. Dogs and wolves are, have 99.8% the same DNA. Uh, dogs and wolves internally, uh, their digestive system is identical. Um, they're in the same scientific classification. But I think the one that really helps most of us understand the close relationship between a dog and a wolf is when we're reminded that a dog and a wolf can mate and have reproducing offspring. There's a lot of species out there. Um, A donkey and a horse, for instance, can mate, but their offspring can't reproduce. A lion and a tiger can mate, but their offspring can't reproduce. And when you're reminded that a dog and a wolf can mate and have reproducing offspring, it helps to understand just that, that a dog is essentially a domesticated wolf. So it kind of sounds like, did we get off track as we started feeding our, our dogs then? Like, why aren't we just following that today? Well, let me give you a, a brief history of, of, of pet food and how we got to where we are today. I mean, I find this stuff fascinating, um, but I'll, I'll try to keep it just a, a real skim across it. Um, a little over 100 years ago, we have what was considered to be the first commercially available pet food. It was um, started by a gentleman named James Spratt. It was in England, and he marketed this pet food as uh, he called it his sports cakes and his dog biscuits. And it was really marketed to the high-end pet owners, the ones who needed to feed something better than everybody else had for their pet. Uh, that idea, and Spratt's biscuits stayed a player in the pet food market up until the 1970s and, and came to the U.S. Um, in the U.S., our kind of our big one that we, that, that really took pet food 
it was kennel ration. Kennel ration became popular after World War One when we had a surplus of horses and mules and we literally canned them. So uh, kennel ration started out as a canned horse meat product and, and that stayed a top player in our history up until World War II where there was a shortage of tan and canned foods fell out of favor. We had a few other big players along the way. Um, we had milk bone, this, the dog biscuits that you can buy for a treat. Those used to be marketed as a complete diet for pets. Um, we had Gaines Company. Um, most people, rec depending on the generation you're from, may recognize the Gaines Burger. Um, but any of these brands that we had on the market, when you wanted to purchase them for your pet, you went to a farm and feed store. Uh, many, most Americans were either making their own pet food, feeding uh, raw food and scraps, or at that time, most pets were living outdoors where they were hunting for themselves, whether or not their owners knew about it. But things didn't really change in how we feed our pets until the, the late 50s, early 60s, when kibble really exploded on the market. And growing up, that's what I was used to. I, my normal is stacks of kibble in either a pet store, grocery store, and that's what people expect to feed. They just assume they're cracking open that bag and pouring it in the bowl. So how did we go down that road even deeper? What, why are we feeding food so far removed from what the wolves and our original domesticated dogs were eating? Well, when kibble came on the market, um, dog chat was one of the big players at the time. Perina really perfected the ability to mass produce. And this is a time in American history where things were really changing. Um, it was the, we were well in, underway into what was called the baby boomer era. And our country was in a, a point of prosperity and growth. And convenience foods were a sign of prosperity. And we really kind of embraced this whole convenience over what I consider convenience over common sense, honestly, in how we feed not only our pets, but also in how we feed ourselves. And if you think about it, a lot of brands um, that you see today, let's say, you know, Swanson TV dinners and uh, different boxes of macaroni and cheese and these convenience foods, quick uh, prepare convenience foods came on the market and our pets were swept right up in there. It was very convenient to open a bag of kibble, pour it in a bowl and feed your pet. Um, another change that happened around that time is prior to this, you know, foods were fed in farm and feed stores. After the, this kind of explosion in kibble brands coming on the market, uh, pet food could now be purchased in the grocery store, which really caused a lot of concern from people at the time. They did not want to see pet food sold alongside their human food. Um, so things have certainly changed since then. So my question then is, so now we're in this world of kibble is all over and it's everywhere. It's in all these stores. It's mass produced. Why can't we use that? What is so different about the raw food and the kibble? What is lost? You know, I think that kibble certainly has a place in how we feed our pets. It, it's what I would consider a convenience food for pets. So, you know, you're running late or you, uh, you want a quick meal, you feed your dog kibble. I, I think of it, I kind of equate it to how we use breakfast cereal. You, you could survive on breakfast cereal and you could raise your child on breakfast cereal. It's complete, it's balanced, it has the daily requirements, but none of us would think to do that because we know instinctively that we need this variety of, of whole living foods to stay as healthy as possible. But somehow we've been convinced that it's perfectly fine to open a bag of kibble, feed it to our pets and have the, pets, have the food have everything the pets need. Um, 
During that time when we really went for the convenience and we, and we switched to a predominantly kibble fed um, pet population, we took away three really important things that our pets needed. Um, I mean, there's lots of benefits to a raw diet, but the three that I think are most essential and that the pets are not getting when they're fed a kibble only diet would be enzymes, uh, amino acids, and intracellular moisture. Can you give me some highlights on why you, you had so many to pick from, but you chose those three. Let's talk about the amino acids first. What, what does that do? Amino acids are the building blocks of protein. So everything that has to, to grow in the body and be, uh, to, to keep rejuvenating needs a proper amino acids. There's 20 different amino acids. Dogs can, and cats can make about half of these. Um, they're, they were, you could call them the ingredients. So if you were making a recipe, you would need all the proper ingredients for the recipe to turn out properly. With amino acids, if the pet doesn't have all the different ingredients coming in through their diet to build these amino acids, then the amino acids don't function properly. And what about enzymes? Enzymes are what are, it's called the catalyst to the event in the body. So every event that you're body has to go through, you know, oxygenating blood or regulating your heartbeat or all the metabolic processes that have to happen in the body all start with an enzyme. They're the, they're the catalyst to those processes starting. And enzymes are intact in raw food that hasn't been heated above about 118 degrees. The amino acids that we just talked about, those are intact at about a hundred, let's say around 108, uh, 10, 118 degrees. When you heat those, when you heat an enzyme and you destroy that enzyme activity, it can't help the body digest the, and utilize the energy that's in the food. With an amino acid, when you heat those, you, you misshape them. It's called denaturing. And when you misshape those amino acids through heat, then the body can't fully recognize them. They're no longer bioavailable. Um, so they come into the body and don't function properly because they've been misshapen. And these are things that we just can't put back in. Once they're gone, they're kind of gone. What about intracellular moisture? Intercellular moisture would be the one that I think is the most important of all. It's a, it's a big word for a really small thing. It just means the moisture within a cell. When you have an intact cell that still has the cell walls that haven't been broken down by heat or by freeze drying, there's a fluid within that cell that is called cytoplasm. And that is the most effective fluid at hydrating the body. And it happens at the time of digestion. So it, drinking water is still important, but drinking water won't hydrate the body as well as eating a raw diet that has intact cytoplasm or uh, intracellular moisture within the cell. Thank you so much. I can tell already, if we dug deep, Dana's going to have a whole lot of information to offer us. So we are absolutely going to continue having you as a guest uh, for those reasons. But here's what we wanted to achieve today was another deeper dive. Um, we talked about what is raw? Now we talked about how that idea came and what is lost in the heating process. And so thank you everyone for joining us today. Part three will be coming up next week. And that's when we start going on, hey, what are we gonna see when our dogs start feeding raw? That's really what we, what we wanna know. Um, so we'll save that one for the end. Dana, as always, thank you so much and looking forward to having you next week as well. Thank you.
that wraps up another episode of It's Raining Cats and Dogs. And as a reminder, please join us for a nutrition webinar. Visit the Steve's Real Food Facebook page for details and registration.